Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. They have those dry counties in Texas. Maybe that's the problem. This is why you don't have a dry county. Just let them buy some bush light down at the 7-Eleven, man. Otherwise, they're out there assaulting these poor toads trying to get high in the desert. SI's Russ Dellinger. LSU smothered him a decent amount. It was really impressive. And uh, they just don't have the big, like the big play receivers that we've seen in the past. And then, and this is really weird, they can't run the ball between the tackles. It's it's bizarre. And SI's Pat Forty. You know, they are very much on that front edge of you know, playing in space and taking vertical shots and, and just getting speed all over the place. It's, uh, I, I would watch that offense. If I were a player in the state of Texas, say, yeah, I want to go go see what that's about. Here's Pat, Russ, and Dan. I right, welcome the pod. Week two, college football playoff rankings are out. Uh, we're going to break this down right here. It's just Pat and I right now. We're taping a little segment after the rankings came out. Ross is out to dinner in New Orleans. We thought that was much better use of his time. <laughs> yes. Uh, he joins us when we're done with this. So we taped the, most yeah, of the show earlier. So Plenty so of missing, quality Ross material, including encounters. Yeah, some with, really uh, good stuff out of Ross, including yeah, a, some a, fake meat. Yeah, some, some crazy stuff. Anyway, so you got to listen to the whole show. But yeah. right now we're breaking down week two. I didn't see any surprises here, Pat. Um, we can get into the minutia. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Michigan. Maybe you could have flipped Michigan and Ohio State. Who really gives, gives a crap at this point? We talk Ohio State and Michigan later in the show. So you want more on that? TCU is four. We talk a lot about TCU later in the show. So that's the big one. Tennessee was not able to stay ahead of TCU at this point. I don't know what the use of that would have been anyway. TCU is four. Uh, Tennessee is five, Oregon six, LSU seven, Southern California eight, Bama Clemson sitting at nine, 10, and Mississippi at 11. Uh, UCLA 12 goes on from there. That's pretty much all the uh, contenders. Thoughts? Anything stick out to you here? Uh, Just a couple things. As you said, no real bombshells, nothing super controversial. I I like the fact that TCU is ahead of Tennessee. I think that uh, you're awarding a team that's 9-0 and in a good conference. And while Tennessee has some great wins, and it's interesting, Boo Corrigan, the selection committee chair, brought up a couple times beating Kentucky 
as a good win, and I, I, I guess it is. I mean, they, they beat them down, that's for sure. I'm still not sure how great Kentucky is. But that loss had to leave a mark, and it did. You go from one to five, and one other thing Corrigan said is they viewed both the Tennessee and Oregon losses to Georgia as one-sided losses. In other words, losing by th- 14 didn't tell the whole story of that game. Everybody on the committee watched that game, and they knew it was a blowout. And so that's why Tennessee is being docked uh, what it is for losing that game. And that is that is important because you could end up at the de- at the end of the day. Can Tennessee get in? Uh, look, right now you're looking at Georgia wins out there in the most obvious deal here. Ohio State, Michigan play. Can one of them stay or not? We can talk about that in a sec. But let's say one gets bounced. TCU obviously can play its way in. If that's the case, who's four? And if tennis, if the committee today and presumably all along, but there's no real consistency often week to week, doesn't see a difference between Oregon's loss and Tennessee's loss, that's not good for Tennessee. Right. And yep. additionally, not good for Tennessee. Their final three games are Missouri, South Carolina, Vandy. They don't have a whole lot to, uh, they may only be one 500 team in that. They don't have anywhere to pick up a lot of uh, strength. Meanwhile, Oregon has Washington this weekend. They have Utah that I think would remain ranked no matter what happens. They're at Oregon State, which could be an eight-win team. All three of those are over 500 teams, which seems to be a marker they use. And then you'd have a Pac-12 title game. Oregon has a lot more that they can pick up late than Tennessee can. And so that's why I'd be nervous if I was the Vols that this comes down to a Tennessee-Oregon Pac-12 champion Oregon at 12-1 and and 11-1 Tennessee. Even with the win over LSU, even with the win over Kentucky, even with the win over Alabama, I don't know if you can hold off the Ducks. Yeah, no, I think so. That, that and boy, that'll be fascinating because obviously one was a forty-six point game, and the other was while it, it was fourteen, it you know it was probably more like a three touchdown, three three to four touchdown game. So there is the score differential regardless there, but that thirteenth data point. Uh, which spurred the Big 12 to having a championship game many years, a few years ago when all this first started, could really weigh in Oregon's favor if it comes down that way, or USC's, or UCLA. If 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 either, any of those teams get to 11 and one, get in the championship game and win against one of the other ones, that's a big schedule boost there. So the the Pac-12 for once, you know, is sitting in a position where. They've got a lot of upside as it stands right now with, with six Oregon, eight USC, and even 12 UCLA, and 13 Utah. I mean, they're not going to make it with two losses, but they can help other people's schedule if you beat them. Yeah, Washington's ranked, and like I said, Oregon State's yeah. got wins. So mm-hmm. there seems to be a rank thing, and then and then that. So that is the one I would be nervous if I was Tennessee. But again, I mean, there's so much that, that can happen here. And you say, hey, TCU controls its destiny. Uh, TCU was once ranked third in the country in the second to last poll, <laughs> won their game against Iowa State 55 to three and ended up sixth in the final poll. So, <laughs> yeah, TCU doesn't want to hear anything about just went out, baby. Don't worry. Yeah. Just look good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they dropped three. I don't know how they did. So that was it. Only other one that interests me is this, can, Notre, can can Ohio State or Michigan survive a loss and stay in front of what would essentially be a 12-1 and Oregon or, or a 
or an 11-1 Tennessee. I don't know. It would obviously depend on how the game is played, if they're still both unbeaten. I mean, Michigan has played a terrible non-conference schedule, but they are winning you know, winning big. Ohio State's winning big. The one thing is Notre Dame is now ranked at 20th, which should help the Buckeyes if that was somehow a scenario. And if Notre Dame wins out and ends up uh, an improbable 9-3 and three with victories over North Carolina, Clemson, and USC at the end, yet losses to Marshall and Stanford, weird season. Notre Dame could be, I don't know, 14th, 12th. Like they could be a really good win for Ohio State all of a sudden. So the Irish, if you're a Buckeye fan, you're rooting for the Irish. Now, again, yeah, that's if Ohio, I don't think any Ohio State fan wants to sit there and talk about the contingency plans if they lose to, <laughs> to Michigan. But <laughs> right. you may right. need this in the long run. I, I did think Notre Dame climbing that high up was, was interesting. Yep, yep. Yeah, that, that well, that... That and Texas being the highest-ranked three-loss team. I did do a little bit, a few paragraphs on that in my reaction where it's always good to be a blue blood, man. Yeah. <laughs> Notre Dame has lost to a team tied for fourth in the Sun Belt East in Marshall and the last-place team in the Pac-12 and still has the number 20 ranking. Uh, Texas has lost to two unranked teams, an Oklahoma State team that has fallen apart and a Texas Tech. Doesn't matter. They're still in there. So uh, it's good to be a blue blood for sure. But going back to your point there about Michigan and Ohio State, one other thing Boo Corrigan said, brought it up again, that non-conference schedule from Michigan has become a factor. I would still be nervous if I'm Michigan if you lose to Ohio State, how much that could come back to haunt. The not, the not, not playing UCLA. I mean, if they had played yep. UCLA, you know, they're in good shape. We get to a little. The only other thing I'll I'll just mention and we'll end this. North Carolina has a chance to play NC State and Clemson left. They could win the ACC. Plus, right, that's it. That's that's the you know they have a, a decent schedule. They could end up twelve and one ACC champs. They have two good games to go, and their only loss might be to a. Uh, a number, whatever. Again, if Notre Dame wins out, I'm not saying I like NC North Carolina's chances, but I like them a little better than I did. Yeah. If I if mean, if a if it's pull ripcord thing, smash glass. <laughs> right. I don't yeah. know, but other than that, yeah. there ain't a whole lot here, and they can no, they'll they, change their criteria next week. Yeah, I think they they quite well will, but I, I do think it's it's stacked against Clemson, and Alabama, uh, which we had talked about, and I think we're ready for a playoff where neither of them make it. The ACC is behind every other conference. Um, I think they're dead, you know, but... Power four, the, the other power five conferences are all ahead of them. Uh, and then if you're Alabama, you've got three teams in your own league ahead of you, and you've got, uh, you know, two from the Pac-12, you got two from the Big Ten. There's just a lot still in your way with two losses, and they don't, other than, other than Mississippi, they got nothing. You know, they play, I think it's Austin P or some FCS team, and then they play a, one of the worst Auburn teams we've ever seen, and that's it, unless you somehow make the SEC championship game, which would require LSU to fall apart. So They need LSU I, I to think, lose both games. Yeah, I think Alabama and Clemson are done. All right, that's our breakdown. We'll see where it's at. Uh, there's only so much you can take out of week two because the criteria just goes up in smoke when 
gets at the end. And really, is TCU going to win four more games? I don't know. But we're going to talk about TCU. So here's the rest of our podcast. All right, let's talk about this TCU-Texas game coming up. Game is in Austin. Game day will be there. It's the second time TCU has had a game day. It's just both on the road this year. Uh, they've had them before, though, for their games. Everything at stake for the for the Horn Frogs, they are going to be a, at least a touchdown. They're a seven-point underdog right now. We'll see what they end up. This, to me, in historical purposes, feels like the latest big biggest game in the history of the program. I'm not going to say it's the biggest game in the history of the program because, like, they won the Rose Bowl. They <laughs> won games that the got league. them into the Big 12. Yep. Right. So I'm not going to say that because they, they beat Texas. They still just got to keep going. They got Baylor the week after. But we're at this point with this program this year where it's getting serious. And if you're just, even if their record was like seven and two, if you're Sonny Dykes and you're trying to take TCU to the next level, there's nothing better than beating Texas. Hmm. Everybody's watching in the state of Texas, which is where uh, I just looked at their recruiting class. They have 20 kids committed, 17 from Texas, as you'd yep. expect. Nothing yep. is that seal of approval more than Texas. This will get huge television ratings in Texas. It might be the biggest game in the state of Texas this year, since Texas and Texas A&M don't play at each other anymore. So it's this huge moment for the TCU program to maybe t show people we're going next step, namely recruits, namely where this is headed. And then the intriguing part, is the guy who's going to try to shut you down defensively is Gary Patterson, <laughs> who is more responsible for what TCU is today than any person in, in the country, uh, in TCU history. He's the one that got you to the level where you could get into the Big 12, where boosters would put down 105. They raised like $107 million once in like a week to rebuild the stadium. And one of his famous things was like making the Texas game the priority for Texas Christian. And like, you know, they'd always say design defenses in the summer to beat Texas. How are we going to beat Texas? So fascinating. You then fire the guy after 21 years of basically the most important person in the history of the program. And they probably could rename the stadium after him or something, if that's possible or something. Is his name on the field? It might already He's be. He's got a statue outside. Got, got a statue, statue. outside. I mean, yeah, there's nobody bigger. But now this guy can ruin what is your most important season, at least since that Rose Bowl uh, with Andy Dalton going 13 to no. There's a lot happening here, man. This is a Texas. <laughs> this is a Texas soap opera going on, Pat. <laughs> yeah, a lot of storylines, a lot, and the guy that. Uh, Patterson worked with arm and arm to expand the stadium and help make them marketable on a bigger scale. It was Chris Del Conte, who's now the athletic director yep. at Texas. Right. Now, he didn't get fired at TCU. He left TCU to go to Texas. But still, a lot of ties back and forth. And, yeah, the Gary Patterson part of this is just fascinating because he is the program patriarch. He's the guy, uh, you know, who deserves most of the credit for bringing them up to a level where they could be in the Big 12 and not just be in the Big 12, but compete and win. And they did push him out, and he didn't want to go, and it was ugly last year. It was ugly. I mean, basically, Patterson said, if you want me gone at the end of the year, I'm leaving now. 
Forget it. We're not having some nice, warm, fuzzy send-off. I'm out. And then he ends up at Texas. And I I, I was, uh, you know, joking in the offseason without really joking that, you know, his unofficial title is analyst in charge of TCU. <laughs> that they've got so many people there that they can just say, take 10 months and get us ready mm-hmm. for TCU. It'll be a labor of love for Gary to beat his former team. And turns out, boy, they need it because TCU is really good. So it's a fascinating, fascinating game. And yeah, Dan, to your point, these are how these seasons go. And for the schools that haven't experienced it in a while, it it's taxing where every game is the game of the year and you win it and then the next game's bigger and the next game's bigger and the next game's bigger. And sometimes eventually it wears you down, but so far no sign of that from TCU. Yeah. Yeah. These, uh, man, the TCU people, they just, they really hate Texas. I, I picked up <laughs> on that pretty quickly when I was there. Yeah. Fast yeah. Spring. It's yeah. like, a, it's a, it's a real hate. Uh, I remember the AD there, Jeremiah Donati, he mentioned, you know, he's really close with Chris Del Conte, the former AD at TCU kind of came up behind him. And uh, during one tech, I think maybe it was last year's Texas TCU game, it was at TCU, and Del Conte was in the visiting AD suite, and Donati went to go visit him uh, and just say hello. And at the door of the visiting AD suite was two police officers guarding the door because (laughs) Del Conte was not playing around with the threats and things that he received from TCU people for one while leaving several years ago for Texas in two leaving the, the leaving the big 12 for the sec. So there's mm, just, yeah. there's a lot of like, there, there's a lot of hate here in, in a lot of interesting storylines. Goes and, back to the Southwest conference, right? Too. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Southwest and, conference uh, breaks up and Texas has enormous pull. That's right. And who and do TCU's they put in the big out, 12? Right. They take Texas Tech, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this whole, whole bit on that. And yep. uh, so, and they believe. I think and, TCU people believe that they, you know, Texas and others in the state tried to keep them out of the Big Twelve too. So yeah, there, yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of yeah. There's there's a lot of hate here and a lot of storylines. It's pretty juicy. I think there's I di- you know I'm sure there is you know many many kids that are sitting there saying I want to go to Texas or Texas Christian. You know, yeah. there's that too. Just the regular yeah. students. There is. It's sure. all there. Yeah, it's all yeah. there. No, it's and that. I mean, like his, historically, Texas just dominated TCU. You know, TCU had a, some glory days in the '30s, back when Dan Jenkins was around, and then you know, forever after that, Texas just completely dominated. TCU was terrible, and then yeah, they they get to the point where the Southwest Conference breaks up and. Some people got to go, and some people get to stay and go on to the Big 12, and TCU wasn't one of them. And then that's when TCU made its kind of up from the bootstraps building via the Mountain West Conference. And I think were they in the WAC for a while? They might even have been in Conference USA or the yeah. – I, I, mean, I think they, they were. Weren't they going to the Big – they were going to the Big East once. Yeah, so. yeah, they were going to go to the Big East. I mean, it was quite a uh, quite a journey. And now you go down there, I mean, and their facilities are just incredible. I mean, the stadium itself is one of the coolest stadiums I've ever seen. Well, from 1960, okay, to 1997, they won 32% of their games. They were 107 and 225. Mm. 
they had seven winning seasons and only one of them reached eight wins. Like most of those winning seasons were like six and five. Then Dennis Francione got in and got them going and got 10 wins, but then he immediately bailed to Alabama and then eventually came back to Texas A&M because Alabama was going on probation for a couple of years. And so he didn't think that would last. But Patterson got there and then boom, they just get really good. And he, he didn't just build them up. He stayed. And that was the key to the program. And so, yeah, they, they, when they needed, I remember Dan, the, the late great Dan Jenkins, one of the great sports writers and one of the greatest college football writers of all time, if not the greatest college football yes. writer of all time, his yes. old stories in sports illustrated. I remember reading them as a kid being yeah, like, I didn't know who Dan Jenkins was. I didn't know how to read bylines, but you were just like, what the hell is this? Cause <laughs> we didn't have every game on TV and, and uh, game day and stuff, you know, and he'd just like, he'd write the whole stories and just be like hanging around chewing tobacco with some coat, you know, Barry, I hung out with Barry Switzer for the weekend. And you're like, what is this? It was just like, it was like, you know, dispatches from Mars. <laughs> to a kid growing up in Boston, you're yeah. just like, I can't even believe college. College, it's you're crazy, right? So colorful. He has an yeah. old book I've recommended on this podcast before. Saturdays America. It's all about like late '60s college football, and it's basically like a rework of a bunch of stories. It's so entertaining. It's just great. Yeah. It's absolutely great. Yeah. Re- get it uh, if you can find it. Get it. You will not. You will not regret. But anyway, he was a TCU guy. But he said that Patterson was like, they got, and Del Conte, they got, uh, it was like their chance to get to the Big 12 as realignment was going on. They basically just hit up like seven dudes and were like, it's now or never. We need money. Mm -hmm. And they raised like 107 million bucks and started redoing the stadium. They've redone it again. So yeah, they have incredible facilities. They got an unbelievable location. I remember Gary Patterson a decade ago saying to me, well, I can't, oh, you say, well, we're this little little private school in this big city. It's not going to work. Everyone cares about the Cowboys. Like, why can't we be Miami, Florida? Why can't we be USC? Sure. And you go, well, that's in, that's in, let's put the bar high, but they're fourth. (laughs) Yeah. And if it just feels like if this year with, with, with Sonny Dykes, it's like, if they could get to that playoff, they can do this. Uh, I'm looking at their recruiting guys. They have nobody in the top 200 committed, but does that change in 24, 25, and so forth, where somebody certainly in the Metroplex says, yeah, I might be the 30th best player in the country, but I'm going to TCU. Sure. I mean, wouldn't shock me. They're fun. They're all, like, if you're an offensive player, especially, say, gosh, I want to be in that system. You know, they are very much on that front edge of, you know, playing in space and taking vertical shots and, and just getting speed all over the place. It's uh, I, I would watch that offense. If I were a player in the state of Texas, say, yeah, I want to go go see what that's about. Yeah, I, I think they've been um, the biggest surprise of the season. I don't know that anybody expected this. I know Pat visited Sonny oh, maybe over the summer, I visited during the spring, and I remember Sonny looking over the table at me, the, his office table. It was just a two months in, probably, of taking the job, two or three months in. And he's like, we have real problems, you know, defensively, specifically. Yeah. He said they had real, real problems. And, yeah, <laughs> they're 8-0. So even he, <laughs> even if he doesn't want to admit it, I think even he 
probably surprised. And uh, what a way to, yeah, begin a tenure. I mean, the the ways begin this tenure, you actually wonder if, you know, Sonny's uh, name will come up for some other openings. You know, I, I, uh, I, I know that there's some people asking around about him and, and if he's, if he's movable to jump to a bigger job, there's a couple of bigger jobs maybe open, but he's got a really good thing going there. Like y'all said, he's got great facilities. It's just a great, cool campus. It's located right in the middle of like the, you know, the most talented, richest area there is outside, I guess, of Lambie, South Florida or something, but uh, maybe Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. It's it's probably like number three behind those. Yeah. And it's, it's uh yeah you can get anywhere and go anywhere and come from anywhere you know with the airport it's close right to there. the airport so, it's got everything yeah. going for it yeah and you're not Fort Dallas Worth you're not is, what do they what do Fort Worth people say about uh about Dallas they say if you want if you want to come to Texas come to Fort Worth if you want to go to Atlanta go to Dallas <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it Del Conte said that to me and I'm like are yeah. you sure you want me to print this <laughs> oh yeah don't Dallas my Fort Worth they say yeah, like, yeah they hate <laughs> Dallas it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, this just seems like there's just a lot going on here. It's like we can, I don't know. There's a lot going on. Uh, if I was, uh, Sonny Dykes, I wouldn't go anywhere. I'd stay right nope. there and then I'd yep. watch what happens yeah. in College Station, maybe. Yep. Oh, there right. you go. And Good say, hmm, now hey, that's the job I want. But he tried mm-hmm. the out of state thing up at Cal. I mean, talk about right. a second life for a coach, which rarely works. Right. Like he went to Cal and it did not work. And no. uh, now he's back in his his comfort zone. His dad obviously was a legendary coach up at uh, Texas Tech. And Texas is his spot. And I, if I were him, I wouldn't I wouldn't be leaving. I'd yeah. say I wrote about just, that in the summer. But he he he, yeah. he he underestimated how bad the fit was at Cal. Yeah. And, uh, he is a Texas guy through and through. I mean, I wrote about that. Like his dad was an assistant Daryl Royal at Texas. Mm-hmm. Him and the neighborhood kids would go play Sunday morning football games on the stadium field where they're going to play Saturday against Texas. He would take home the torn up Earl Campbell tearaway jerseys. You know, he was in high school when the Friday Night Lights crew was going in Odessa. His dad was coaching in Midland. Yeah, Midland. They coached Lake. against Odessa Permian. You know, mm-hmm. so he's. He has deep Texas street cred. Well, I I don't know whether this is what is um what is causing this, but the excitement over TCU, as we mentioned recently, if you if you find a horn frog out in the <laughs> wild, or a, a whole bunch of frogs, including the Sonoran Desert toad. Oh yeah, famous. If you lick the the frog. The secretions of certain frogs, including apparently the horn frog, can cause euphoria and strong auditory hallucinations. <laughs> the toxins in the secretion of a frog uh, mm-hmm. are powerful psychedelics. This is according to the Oakland Zoo and uh, the accredited Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Put that, what were the odds that I would cite anything from the Association of <laughs> Zoos and Aquariums? Actually, and pretty you, good. Do, uh, does spot. that exist or am I, I mean, that could exist. <laughs> Sounds like it exists, but is there somebody I'm at a sure desk if I call a number that'd be like, yes, Association I of Zoos? It. Sure. Anyway, I would just like to applaud the human race that we're like so desperate to get high, these people, that they're out in the <laughs> desert looking for 
for frogs to lick? It wouldn't have, like who who was the first one? <laughs> who was first and was like, hey, I caught a frog. I think I'm gonna lick it. And then went, holy. <laughs> well, maybe they were hungry and tried to bite it and ended up hallucinating instead. I is don't this, know. Is this like back from caveman times? Is that where this is like <laughs> getting passed down? I never would have dawned on me. Never would have dawned on me. <laughs> you need to get out more. Get out to the desert, Dan. Yeah, Dan. I think do, Dan. They have those dry counties in Texas. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> this is why you don't have a dry county. Just let them buy some bush light down at the 7-Eleven, man. Otherwise, they're out there assaulting these poor toads trying to get high in the desert. Again, I think this is actually the pod being influencers because we talked about the toads, you know, a couple episodes ago, and now all of a sudden you're reading all about it. You know, well, it's, all, it's all out there. The National Park Service came out with a warning just this week. See? CNN, I'm reading here. Please don't lick this psychedelic toad. That is what they're saying. The National Park Service has warned to refrain from licking the Sonoran Desert Toad, among others. But I think the, the National uh, Park Service are pod listeners. They are. All the national yep. parks. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah, just the other day, Rocky Mountain National Parks gave us a, <laughs> uh, a review. No, I don't. Um, so you can get high, but the toxins can also make you very sick if, if you touch the toad or put one in your mouth. All right. This is the warning. Okay. Please refrain from yeah. licking the toad. <laughs> Are these toads so, located in a certain place again? Where, where are they located? Just, is it a certain Sonoran place? Desert. Sonoran Desert. They're known Desert. Uh, as the Colo or the anywhere the Colo. They're also known as the Colorado River Toad. Oh. Okay. I don't know that if this goes is the horned frog. I, to me, the, the frog is the frog. Uh, you know, I don't. I hate when we we divide by you know culture and stuff. Frog is a frog. All frogs are created equal. Now, they see, literally yeah, have a be, picture of this. Yeah, you're not respecting De- the individual it- dignity of the Son- Sonoran <laughs> desert toad. Okay. Maybe I should. Am I being <laughs> yeah, racist yeah. against the toads? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um. Don't lick any toad. I don't care if one's hopping in your backyard and you live in Maine. Don't. <laughs> don't. I mate. So go horde frogs, right? Horde frogs, big year. Let's not overstep what we're trying to do. At least until <laughs> it maybe. Let's put it this way: if they make the championship game, then I, everyone should just have a huge party. They make the playoff like they should import like a thousand toads to the TCU campus and let cancel classes. Let's let everyone get whacked out. <laughs> TCU's in hey, the playoff. If, if they make it and go to um, the Fiesta Bowl, that's that's the desert. There's probably that's that the Arizona. Desert. Yeah. There, you know, there's probably yeah. some desert toads Could out be a there. Problem. Good God, people. Good God. I mean, people are just out of control. All right. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Other really good big game this week, and it has playoff implications. 
Old Miss is hosting Alabama. Now, this was supposed to be a monster game because Alabama was supposed to show up with one loss. LSU said, not so fast, my friend. And But Ole Miss has a chance here to beat Alabama. Now, they have lost to LSU, so they are behind LSU in the standings. But LSU is like staring at trap game crazy up at Arkansas at 11 a.m. on Saturday. There's a whole bunch of trap games in the SEC this week. I'll get to them right after, right after we talk Ole Miss and Bama. If I mean, first off, if Ole Miss could win this, they set. They, I mean, they still got Mississippi State, but they still have a chance, right? Yep. Also, they beat Alabama, which matters. Okay, it yeah. just matters if you're Ole Miss. Hell yeah! This is the game everyone's pointing to. Super huge game. What does this mean for Ole Miss, and what does this mean for Alabama, which could actually have a damn losing streak and actually drop three of four for the first time? And Nick Saban has won 10 games every year since his first year at Alabama in 2007. He needs to win out to get 10 regular season wins. He would have a bowl game. But all those guys on this team, you didn't get to see any Bryce Young and Will Anderson, any bowl game. So interesting stuff. Pat, I, I guess I'll go with you. I can't remember who I went with first last time. Super interesting. I mean, you know, yeah. I, Alabama is uh, is vulnerable for sure, and they've been bad on the road. Mississippi coming off an open date, so they've got the open date advantage. Lane Kiffin dying to beat Nick Saban, dying to beat Alabama. Knows how important it would be for his fan base, for recruiting, for perhaps him, him, he himself in terms of his marketability. So it's huge, huge opportunity for them. And yeah, look, in the past, Alabama has always responded one way when they lose. They come back out smoking, you know. They, they come firing back because I, I've always said coaches who hate to lose more than they like to win, they rarely have losing streaks because it bothers them so much that they will absolutely drive their team as hard as possible for the next game. That's how Rick Pitino was. Rick Pitino was the sorest loser of all time, and they rarely lost two in a row because the next he would just ride them mercilessly till the next game. And I would imagine that's what Nick Saban has been doing uh, this week at Alabama. So, I, I, I mean, on paper, Alabama's a better team. On paper, what... Mississippi does well. You know, they are a ground and pound run based team. I don't know whether you can just hand off 45 times against Alabama and succeed. We'll see. They do have a mobile quarterback, and mobile quarterbacks have been uh, somewhat successful. Certainly, Jaden Daniels was. But uh, it's, it is a big opportunity. And yes, I, I, I said Sunday, Dan told me to slow my roll, but I said I think that we could be looking at a closing window of dominance for Nick Saban in Alabama, and this game could tell us a lot of whether that's accurate or inaccurate. I believe you said they'd never win again. <laughs> and Nick Saban should – I think that – was that it? Bama fans? Yeah, that was and going going Pat 40. Yeah, no, yeah, I did not. Fire Saban. Yep, fire Saban. So it's over. Well, it, it – uh, you know, they would – a loss for Alabama would mean that they would have three regular season losses, which – uh, they have not had in a season since his first year when they went like six and six. Um, I'm pretty 2010, sure. 2010, I think they 2010, ended up with three. Oh, oh I had. thought they lost two there. No, One they lost more. three? Three. Yeah, oh, they wow. lost 10 okay. and three. I oh, think they, they lost in, uh, in the Utah. But uh, regular season losses, yes. Good point. Yeah, no, no regular no, season. No, 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 no. 
2010, they lost to South Carolina. And that, and then the LSU, right? It wasn't that it. I think that's it. I think that's LSU, it. and then they did, lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Oh, did oh, they? Okay. Ahead, All right. They were was, ahead like 27 to three and lost, or 27 to seven and lost 28, 27. 10 and three totally sucked. Then they went on. To win <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was that. So this will yeah. only be the second and time. Okay. Yep. Yep. Sure did. Uh, lost 28 to 27 to Auburn. In either way, uh, only really, yeah, the second time since his first year that they would lose three in a regular season. And like Dan said, you know, for Ole Miss, not just the fact of beating Alabama, but if they if they can win out and have LSU lose one of two games, either at A&M or at Arkansas this week, then they're going to the SEC championship game. And um, I believe so. I believe they would have. Oh, yeah. Would be, and if yeah, they win, and they're getting and, to the playoff. Right, right. Yeah. So. And they have never, you know, the only SEC West team outside of, well, yeah, outside of A&M, A&M, right? A&M and Ole Miss are the only two SEC West teams to not advance to the SEC championship game at some point. And um, mm-hmm. so that's that's always been a uh, a thing, I think, in Oxford. They've been so close to that a couple times and have fallen. So, you know, it, it doesn't, and I know we're not talking about this game, but uh, yeah, the, the, there's a big trap game up there in Fayetteville for, for LSU. It's 11 a.m. kick. It's 30-degree weather. So Ole Miss got to be thinking, hey, this is possible. Like, and, and then LSU's last game is at A&M, and I know A&M's struggling, but it's still on the road and all that. Like, I, You know, it, it's possible. So Ole Miss is still fighting for something for sure. You, know, you never know when someone's going to get punched in the pacemaker. When LSU and A and M play, I mean, right? That's we'll, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll be looking forward to relive that glory. But no, uh, well, Ole Miss should know what happened to. Well, at least they'll have an idea. Maybe they won't know, and they pr- they probably don't want their players knowing. But it's just a a massive opportunity for Ole Miss for the program, you know, for just just the the chase uh, for Lane Kiffin, as you said. With, you think he was the one that wanted to be the first assistant to beat Nick Saban? Yeah, he really did. But, you know, here's his chance. And for Bama, I don't know. I don't know how good this team is. I Yeah, I watched a little of the replay of that game, and they just they don't have the playmakers, right? And, yeah. you know, how many times did they get? And it's funny because they got unbelievable recruits. They've had one or, the number one or number two class. And as much as you want to say this program's teetering a little, they are way in the lead as the number one recruiting class right now. Five top 20 guys. They're going to get more players. But for a long, this team doesn't have that game. So many times it was, you know, Derrick Henry off tackle and he goes for 68 yards. You know, plays designed to gain six. Devontae catches a slant, seven yards, goes 77. Najee Harris hurtling people. You know, a four-yard gain, a five-yard design play gets 45. They they had these guys that bailed them out of these games. They don't have that. And they've struggled on the road, and it's like blood in the water, and Oxford will be as wild as it's ever been. Just big statement game for both of these programs. Yeah, and a couple of things about Alabama. Like, I mean, there's a lot of problems, like you said. I think one of the top problems is how undisciplined they are. And – you talk to coaches about why, you know, just over the last 10 years, why Saban's teams have so much success. And they'll, they'll say two or three things. One, they have more talent. But two, that talent is discipline and they don't hurt themselves. And, that, and they're doing that. They're turning the ball over. They're, they're making costly penalties. 
and then like to Dan's point, they don't have playmaking receivers. That's a real problem. Like they just don't, they don't have playmaking receivers and they're not getting open. I mean, LSU, LSU smothered them a decent amount. It was really impressive. And uh, they just don't have the big, like the big play receivers that we've seen in the past. And then, and this is really weird. They can't run the ball between the tackles. It's, it's bizarre. They just, they can't run the ball. And God, we, we've seen, you know, the, Nick's first eight to 10 teams at Alabama. That's what they could do so well. My God, better than anybody. And this team cannot run the ball between the tackles. So they get in the red zone. They had to kick three field goals against LSU. You know, they could not run the ball. And one other area, too, where they're lacking glaringly compared to past Alabama teams is defensive takeaways. I mean, Saban's teams have always had a massive turnover margin. Massive. And I had the stats in the dash this week. They average... From 2008 to 2021, they averaged 25 takeaways in usually 14 games, 13, 14, 15. So more than one a game. They, right now they have six in nine games. They, they are tied for 127th nationally in takeaways. And that's with Will Anderson. That's with Dallas Turner. That is with a secondary of a bunch of five-star guys. Like, they're just not taking the ball away. And that's one thing, you know, if you remember, boy, a couple of years ago, like 2018 or whatever, they scored like six or seven defensive touchdowns. They would turn potential close games into routes with pick sixes, fumble, scoop and score, whatever. And they're just not getting any of that from their defense right now. Well, I still might pick them to win this game. I, think <laughs> I yeah. might too. I think I am going to pick them to win the game. Yeah. Exciting game. <laughs> Exciting game. I hate picking Alabama, but Sean's going to put that damn thing on the game because it's got to. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I've been wrong about Alabama the whole year. So, yeah. but other trap games, the SEC is really, this is the other, we talk about the LSU at Arkansas. You know, one thing about Alabama LSU is it's such an emotional, physical game every year that now you got to come back. And yeah, 11 a.m. up in Fayetteville. The other, Georgia is visiting Mississippi State. And, Look, anybody who watched Georgia last week is not going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, you got you to do some talking into to think Mississippi State. But Mississippi State is a good football team. And number one showing up. And Stark Vegas is going to be rocking. And Mike Leach is going to be, it's all going to be there. And Georgia's got a, this is a test. This is not just, and, and you're coming off the big game. Um, and everyone's crowning you national champs, and you can't play the disrespect card anymore. A lot could happen in the SEC this weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's it is interesting. Not only this weekend, but then the next weekend, too. Georgia is at Kentucky. You got back to back road games, and they will be challenged in both those, uh, in ve- both the venues. Cause yeah, the, the, the home team's going to be super excited to have them there. It's going to be Cowbell Hell in Starkville. The one thing, too, is. Like, the game, I think Kirby Smart put last game a lot on his secondary. Like, you guys man-to-man on islands against the best receivers, let's go. And the emphasis was so heavy on that. Now those same people got to turn around and cover a team that's going to throw it 50 times. You know, Mississippi State's not even going to try to run. They're just going to line up and throw. So a very taxing week again for the uh, for the Georgia secondary. I, I, I would be shocked if they lose. I think they are super locked in. But there may be enough of an emotional dip there that it's closer than you would think it would be in a vacuum. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pretty shocked if Georgia loses. State has really struggled at times, and in, in last weekend, 
you know, they almost let Auburn come all the way back to win. They went into had had a win in overtime. So I'd be surprised at that one. I wouldn't be as surprised to see LSU go to Arkansas and lose or at least have to work really, really hard to win that game late. That game has been a bugaboo for LSU and partly because of how physical the Alabama game is. And they always play them after Alabama. And they always play them usually up there in the cold. And it just, it's a grinding game. And I think LSU's won, you know, like three to the last around 11, 10 or 11 games up there. But it's usually pretty close. Like pretty much every year it's close. There's been a couple blowouts, but it's been pretty close. And last year, Arkansas won in overtime. Year before that, it was a three-point win for LSU. It, it, it's, I remember going up there in 2014, again, after a physical loss to Alabama, LSU went up to Arkansas, and LSU was a better team in 2014, I thought, and went up there to Arkansas after the grinding Alabama game, and it was 30 degrees and got beat 17 to nothing. It it happens. that It's a tough one, and look out, because not only is it 11 a.m. morning kick, but yeah, it's supposed to be like 30 degrees, and Arkansas has got to be pretty angry after losing at home to Hugh Freeze. So it it all the, a lot of arrows here point to this one being like very tight. In Vegas thinks so too, right? Three point spread. Yeah, huge week for for Arkansas. I agree. That's gonna be the that's gonna be the game. And then great weekend for Mississippi, state of Mississippi, which is cool. Yeah. Yep. Two massive games. And one of the best parts of college football is that these massive events happen in these places where massive events, right? Hey, the Super Bowl is being played in L.A. Wow, they finally got something to look forward to in Los Angeles. A big <laughs> event. You know, it's like whatever, yeah. man. Right. <laughs> right. Um, here we go, right? It's like, this is great. These two little towns. Have you ever done that drive between them? And anything there? Ross knows he's from Mississippi <laughs> and went to state. Nothing there. No. Nothing there but some speed traps, which uh, yeah. I watched my cousin Vinny. I know that was about Alabama, but as a northerner, <laughs> <laughs> Be aware of the posted speed limits. That's my that's my goal on all that. <laughs> all right, I want to get to this quickly. Old uh, I'm sorry, Ohio State and Michigan. Okay, so all year Ohio State has been. It's you know Michigan won the game last year, but the, the game this year is in in a few weeks. It's not this weekend, in case you were wondering. Anyone listening? Uh, <laughs> it's never this week. It will be played at noon, the Saturday after Thanksgiving or before what it used to be. It, the sky will be gray. It, there's no sun allowed on the Michigan Ohio State game. Not 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 permitted. But Ohio State's been like, well, Ohio State's the better team. Ohio State's gonna be the favorite. The game's at the horseshoe. All of that stuff. Michigan that was a big win last year. But oh, Buckeyes got Jim Knowles to come in and fix the defense. They're ready for him. This all that, right? Okay, fine. I expect Ohio State to be favored. But right now, as you look at these two teams particularly after the Northwestern game. Ohio State beat Northwestern 21-7. to It was windy. It was a ridiculous game. But they did not really stop Northwestern's running attack, which the, the Northwestern was completely one-dimensional. And they still ran the ball 285 yards and did all right. And they didn't really run the ball that well. 283 yards on a, a ton of carries, 4.6 yards a game for Ohio State. And Michigan has just blown everybody out. Now, they haven't played it that many good teams, and their non-conference stunk, but Ohio State's wasn't that great. I mean, Notre Dame was whatever. 
But Michigan is winning by 31 points. When they struggle like they did Saturday night against Rutgers, they come back and win by a ton. Michigan is a 31-point margin of victory right now. Ohio State's is 30. You know what Michigan's going to bring to the table. You know what they're going to do. They are going to run, 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 and they might play action. Well, they're going to have J.J. McCarthy run, and then they may play action a little to J.J. McCarthy, and he's got a couple receivers, or it's Donovan Edwards out of the back. Who should be favored right now? Is Michigan looking better than Ohio State to the point where you might say, I think Michigan's going to win this football game right now? Ross? No, no. I uh, I think uh, Ohio State's still the favorite. And a lot of that probably is because of the brand of the kind of like football they play. Obviously, this is two different kind of offensive philosophies. We saw the the older school ground and pound philosophy uh, win last year, but that's been a rarity in a, until it becomes more consistent. Then I think you're you're going to go with the team that uh, you know throws the ball better, has a, it scores more points consistently. Um, I know at times it's been a struggle, but I'd still say that Ohio State is the favorite. I don't know what the Vegas line would be like right now. And that's, that game's at Ohio State, so an extra three points, uh, if not more. I, I would guess it would be right around a touchdown, maybe. Uh, I'm just guessing. I would like think six, about that. Yeah, six to, six, six to eight points probably for Ohio State. So, yeah, I'd, 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 still, I'd still take the Buckeyes for sure. I would as well. I, 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 but if it's a touchdown, I probably will take Michigan in the points at that point. If it's I, eight I or think, more, I think this I feel looks, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this looks like a three to five, six point game. Really, you know, I think it's going to be as of this moment going to be real close. We'll see how they are doing health wise. We'll see. They, the they both. Just, yeah, talking talk about trap games. The week before, Michigan plays an Illinois team that's a pain in the mm. ass. They're not that good, but they're a pain mm. in the ass. And Ohio State has a road game against Maryland. And I do remember three or four years ago, them going to Maryland and winning like 53-52 and nearly blowing the whole yep. Michigan Ohio State run up. So, but but it's fascinating. The one thing I I do give. Michigan's defensive line a chance to really have success against Ohio State's offensive line. Bill Rabinowitz, who covers Ohio State for the Columbus Dispatch and does a great job. He does a little film recap usually on Sundays of their game. And he had clip after clip after clip of Northwestern blowing up Ohio State's offensive line in short yardage situations. Just hitting gaps, knocking them backwards, stopping them on third and one, fourth and one tight ends not blocking, et cetera, and that's Northwestern. And while Pat Fitzgerald is a very good coach and knows how to coach defense and was ready for that game, he doesn't have the creatures that up front that Michigan does. So if it gets like that, if they, if it's bad weather, hey, late October or late November in Columbus, yeah. Ohio, if it's windy, if it's cold, whatever, and you got to play a ground game, then I think it tilts more towards Michigan. But for now – I still think Ohio State, more explosive uh, and playing at home are the differences. So I, I agree with all of that. I basically invented this topic for a reason to talk about Ohio State. <laughs> but I, Michigan, I don't know they're not better this year than last year. And I know they don't have, you know, none of their guys are going to get drafted second, like Hutchinson. And I, I don't know. But you watch their games and every guy in their team is good. And man, I, they just, they... Not playing a non-conference game, canceling that UCLA game is such a massive disservice to this program. 
because mm-hmm. I think they beat UCLA soundly. And if they do, they're, they're arguing for number one. Instead, it was just such a, they played nobody. And so no, I don't even know if anyone's paying attention to their games. I don't know if anyone's paying attention to Ohio State games, but their style of play travels. When you watched Ohio State, okay, it's it's windy, it's crappy weather, it's Northwestern. All right, shift gears. CJ, you know, CJ Stroud's not going to throw it forty-five times. Fine, let's just blow them off the ball where the Buckeyes. Right? Didn't they really happen? And that that's what could, I think Michigan would have shifted and 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 beaten Northwestern Sound. If if it's last year it snowed, you know, if it's if it's bad weather, if it's all there, can Ohio State do this? Are they sunshine Patriots? Right. Or as uh, Sunshine Warriors, Summer summer Warriors, Sunshine Patriots, right? You know, Woody Hayes' thing, uh, you've got to fight in the North Atlantic. You train in the yep. North Atlantic. That's why they train outside. Well, yep. you know, the Michigan game was the, is the North Atlantic. So we'll see. Going to be really interesting, though. But I all year, I was like, yeah, Buckeyes, Buckeyes, Buckeyes. Last couple of weeks, I'm starting to be like, man, I don't know. Right. I don't know. It's, um, it's it's much more of a uh, a debate. It's now Michigan than it rising was. up than problems with Ohio State too. It's more right. like God, this Michigan team is good, right? You know, they're just mm-hmm. good, and I think it's like because they just got just got pushed around by Georgia. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, they're not really that good. Everyone gets like, pushed man, around. I don't by know. Georgia. <laughs> that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing. All right, story. Uh, two things we got to get to here. Uh, one, there was a man in Philadelphia, kind of a spirit animal of ours. <laughs> this was this one was brought to us with great enthusiasm, and boy, does it fit. Yeah, Alexander Taminsky. He's uh, works uh, in the. Uh, he's, I think he's a waiter, or maybe he's a cook. I think he's a waiter at a at a restaurant in Philadelphia. But he decided to take his own food challenge and eat a rotisserie chicken, an entire rotisserie chicken, unseasoned, no sauce, no sides, uh, one a day for 40 days. (laughs) And many of the days, all he ate was one rotisserie chicken. He would sit down and just eat a rotisserie chicken with nothing on it. That was it. And uh, he lost 16 pounds in the process. So that's, you know, it's white meat pretty much, except for the parts of it. Healthy. But he ate the 40, and then the final day, he took pictures. He became a sensation in Philadelphia and all over, as the, known as the Philadelphia Chicken Man. And the final day, he had a rally at an abandoned abandoned wharf uh, in Philadelphia where he brought the, the, <laughs> the videos and the pictures are great. Showed up in a, a muscle T-shirt and uh, devoured the, the, the final rotisserie to a huge crowd of supporters who cheered him on as he ate his final... Uh, rotisserie chicken. He said, uh, quote, I felt like it was something that had to be done. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so it was a rotisserie chicken and seltzer water. That was it. Now, he did say he did eat a few other meals. That's, I mean, if it was just the rotisserie chicken a day, but then you also had like a lunch that was different or something, that I'd, I'd feel a little differently. But Pat, could you eat a rotisserie chicken every day for 40 days? Uh, Just the I rotisserie mean, chicken. If if I had to, like if somebody said, this is your only path to survival, yes. 
That was clearly not Mr. Tominsky's uh, situation. He, it was the right thing to do. Was, it was the right, it was thing, the to right thing to do. The right, oh, that's what he called what it. Is, the right thing to yeah. do. What does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> not for the 40 chickens that gave their life, buddy. Right? Yeah. It means it was the wrong thing to do not to do it. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, my God. No carbs, oh. no vegetables for 40 days. Yeah. You know who could and would do it is Pete Thamel. Pete was a rotisserie chicken fanatic. I don't know whether he still is, but uh, he like yeah, but he was like a good cook too. Like he would foodie it up, and he had a lot of different yeah. things. I love rotisserie yeah. chickens, uh, and I eat them often. Actually, everyone yeah. does, right? I'm a big fan of I'm, rotisserie. You go chicken. to the grocery store; it's already cooked. Perfect. That, <laughs> but that's right. That's right. Just I, I, the chicken. I, I mean, eating like that's the thing with me. Like, uh, you know, I I. Kind of embarrassed to say this, but I probably eat a half a chicken a day. I but I eat other things really? too. I eat other things. <laughs> I mean, like I <laughs> eat and drink other right. things. So the the big yeah. I mean, like I I uh, <laughs> I'm in New Orleans right now, but I uh, I ate a uh, <laughs> I ate two quarters of a chicken, dark meat chicken yesterday. So I ate my half chicken yesterday, but, uh, I eat other things. And so that, that would be the real issue I would have is like, okay, eating a whole rotisserie chicken, uh, every day, you know, for 40 days, doesn't seem like actually that tall of a task for me, but not eating anything else would be a problem. That's, that's it. If you yeah. just took the chicken yeah. and you made, use the, the cooked chicken and, in, in uh, Right, chicken Caesar yeah. salad, or you exactly. smother it in barbecue sauce and make a side or whatever. No mm. problem. He just ate the chicken. The last day on the abandoned wharf, <laughs> his, he played uh, Bruce Springsteen's The Streets of Philadelphia to count down the final bites. Uh, and then uh, the last line of the, the song is like, ain't no angel going to greet me. It's just you and me, my friends. He stood up and screamed it as he ate his last bite to the cheer. <laughs> He says his body needs to heal, yeah. so no more chicken, and uh, he's going to yeah. get sushi. And if you want to okay. know how ridiculous this entire thing is, that a, a random waiter in Philadelphia could just decide to have a chicken challenge, I'm reading the New York freaking Times about this story. <laughs> yeah, A guy gets up one day and says, I'm going to eat chicken every day for the next 40 days. He actually was going to do 30, and then he extended it. 40 days later, he's in the New York Times. Yeah. What there are often some things I read or see that go on around the world, and I'm like, I uh, always think, like, if an alien spacecraft were to land here and see <laughs> what we were doing, eh, they would pack up things and say, we're getting the hell off this planet. Like, we are not sticking <laughs> around here. Like, in an example, are, this, this happened this past weekend. I was in Baton Rouge for the LSU-Alabama game, and I'm walking with some other riders through the LSU tailgate, and I'm like... Guys, what if an alien landed here right now and saw this LSU tailgate, all these people <laughs> drunk, like eating and drinking and going to some event as some mammoth, like concrete structure of with 19 year olds playing with a ball. And they're like, yeah, they would leave. They were like, we got to get the F out of here, man. Like these people are crazy. You know, it's like this is one of them. Like, like, could you imagine showing up and this guy's just eating chickens in the middle of a where some deserted oh, abandoned, abandoned uh, wharf, a wharf. Oh my abandoned God, wharf. all the places, Off the, yeah. like the Delaware River. Yeah. Yeah. We, dock we are, on the river. Yeah. We are. We are. And, and they were chanting, society. eat that bird, eat <laughs> that bird. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, what is wrong with I, us? I mean, <laughs> that's oh, yeah, the aliens. Like the the alien scouting report would be two words: weird, unintelligent. Yeah, you know, like this planet. <laughs> this planet is is just too dumb for us.
Do you ever walk like you, you, you walking down, like I mean, my back walk has got this, you know, it's usually clear. And then every once in a while, there's like, like a thousand ants on it at like one random day. <laughs> yeah. They're all out like for whatever reason. And they're all climbing. I'm like, what is going Maybe that's yeah. it. That's like the LSU Bama game yes. of the ant world. And I just <laughs> don't know about it. I'm like, yes, what are they right. all doing? How yeah. do they know to all come here at the same moment? There's yeah, not like, yeah. a, I didn't leave like a, like a piece of steak there for them to all eat. Yeah. It's like, they, I don't know. Yes. There is a, there's an LSU Bama game of the ant world. I guess. Ant like world Bama. Yeah. It's something. All right, finally, I know we're running a little long, but you got to get to this. People's court, people's court. All rise. The Honorable Judge Wenzel, Judge Forty, and Judge Dellinger presiding. This is the People's Court. The Daily Mail brings us this. Of course, uh, big controversy. Farmers in England, now or United Kingdom or whatever these who I don't know, English, British. <laughs> I never get yeah. all that. Whatever that is. Some they're over in there. Over there. These across farmers. the pond. Across the pond. Yeah. Yes. There across you go. the pond, right. Cause they yeah, they do all this stuff. World Cup, they split up. They won't like they could have a killer team. Could absolutely have a killer yeah. team and win this thing. But like Wales and England won't get along and share <laughs> players. It's like what are you people doing? All right. Anyway. It's it's the Auburn Alabama of of World Cup soccer. Like they just hate each other too much. Anyway, if you just teamed up, the farmers in Britain are arguing that the government of Britain should ban the ability of uh, vegan products, plant based products, to use the terms sausage, bacon, and steak. Right, so you can have a a plant-based, mm. like a veggie sausage, right? Yep. Plant-based yep. bacon, okay? And they're arguing that this should not be allowed. Here is the, uh, here's one guy. There should be a new rule saying vegan products cannot be called sausage, bacon, or steaks. Uh, apparently, this is what they do in France. He said, uh, you'd think uh, we'd have trade. This is not an argument against people eating vegan food, but the idea you can call a product whatever you like, irrespective of what's inside, goes against labeling laws. Research shows vegan products are very refined. Calling something a veggie sausage is a sales tactic as the producer thinks it will sell more than it is if it's called a vegan stick. That, that would be true. I'm not eating a vegan stick. <laughs> yeah, I'm not eating a vegan stick. That sounds A terrible. veggie sausage, I'm like, yeah, whatever, right? Uh, another said they need to be clear that they are copying it from, from peas or soybean, soya protein and not a virgin of sausage. This should be illegal. All of that. This isn't chicken plant-based pieces, all this stuff, plant, plant. Let's I'm looking at an ad here, plant bacon, right? They don't want any of that. So justice 40, do the farmers of Britain have a case? Should it be illegal to declare something a sausage if there is no meat in it or whatever else? Bacon is 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 it a, is that allowed uh, or should you should the plant based people if a, a sausage is whatever the hell you make it? You know what we do as jurists here in the people's court is we we rely on past legal precedent, right? Mm-hmm. And we established a precedent that Texas Pete hot sauce can be called Texas Pete without being made in Texas. It can be made in North Carolina. And so by that precedent, 
Yes, you can call it sausage even if it's not doesn't have meat in it. You can call it bacon, and it's up to the dumbasses that are buying it to figure out what they're buying, okay? If it <laughs> says it's made with soybeans, then you're not buying meat sausage. It's on the people. It's not on the uh, vegan people. The, the vegan, vegan folks via Texas Pete precedent are okay to call their stuff sausage and bacon. Boo. Uh, Justice Dellinger. I <laughs> am siding with the farmers. And let me, let me tell you a story about why I'm siding with the farmers. And it's because of a personal experience. Uh-oh. For years, I have gone to Starbucks you know, every other day or so, got my coffee and usually gotten the same sandwich, the impossible breakfast sandwich. It was really good, right? I got it for like two years. I ate the sandwich. And I thought, my God, this is the best sausage patty I've ever had. It's amazing. No wonder they call it impossible. It's so good. And it's good for you too, because I've looked up the protein and the calories and all that stuff. And then I'm eating it in front of my uncle one time, about a year ago. <laughs> And he said, what you got there? And I said, the Impossible Sandwich from uh, Starbucks. Have you ever had it? It's really good. He said, ew, that's plant-based. And I, (laughs) it was a rude awakening. And I'm one of the dumbasses who didn't realize for two years that I was eating a plant-based. And so guess what now? Because of the way I'm made, I've never had it again. Never had it again. Never had it again. So no, farmers are right. You can't be calling this sausage if it ain't from a pig's ass or a pig somewhere or some pig. Okay, you can. So I and then I went back and I told this story to my wife and she's like, Ross, you've never heard of Impossible Meat, and I'm like, No. Well, yeah, I have heard of it. It says Impossible Meat. It says meat. So I'm, it's got to be meat, right? No, this is this is uh, this is wrong branding, misleading the consumer, the dumbass consumer like me. What was the harm in eating the veggie part? <laughs> that, that's the that's the funny part, right? It's like, I, and we've got some now vegan you got friends. A fatter, yeah, yeah exactly. Not as healthy one. We got some vegan friends. <laughs> that's right. We got vegan <laughs> friends, and I've told them the story. They're like, "You stopped eating the sandwich?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so was it? Was it because you were defrauded? Yes, yes. I'm like, I'm not paying for this plant, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So is it because of the principle that you feel lied to by Starbucks? Or is uh, it because in the back of your mind, you no longer think this can taste good because there's no actual Exactly. That's really what it is. It's like, now when I bite into it, I know what it is. And I'm like, oh, it's this plant. Like, you know, and I love the sandwich so much. Just took every, I mean, for two years, I ate the sandwich. (laughs) Well, I mean, that is the kind, this is why you build consensuses on these things and you (laughs) you have oral arguments and stuff. I don't know if I can go against that. My original opinion is you say the sausage, it has to come from a pig. Okay, fine. Bacon has to come from a pig. Well, we have turkey sausage. Yeah. Turkey bacon. It's classified as turkey though, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Good point. point. But isn't. Isn't it plant veggie sausage? It says veggie sausage, but it's meat. So which way are you going, Justice? It's still meat. I mean, we got a, we got a, you know, we what? got a hung jury. If you're too stupid to understand, <laughs> they didn't even try to hide the Starbucks. 
with like their Fenty Grande. You got don't even have to speak. You have to when you go to Starbucks, you have to learn how to speak Starbucks. It's like a, it's like yeah. Latin. Right, right, uh, right. Fenty you don't, what? I just say I want the biggest drink you have. The big okay. yeah, Venti. This you got it. My daughters can are fluent in Starbucks. It's a, I, I, I now when we go to the drive thru I just look, I pull up and I'm like, you guys yell in there. I don't even know how to do this. <laughs> so you're you, you know what? There's no harm. Sausage is whatever the hell you declare it is. My mm, ruling. Uh, there it. we go. Majority rule. It's Sorry. okay to have vegan I sausage. I do feel for the pain you had in enjoying a sandwich for two years, though, <laughs> and having your arteries clear. That's right. That's right. Back to clogging. Back to clogging. That is a hell of a story, though. All right. We'll be back Thursday. Race for the case. This took too long because, well, I didn't think it was going to veer in this direction. Oh, <laughs> We're so in, good. Poor Ross is going to go eat. Uh, either just get a rotisserie. At least you know already, what it is. I already That's ate one my thing. Starbucks this morning. I, I had a uh, bagel okay. and I had a bowl of fruit yogurt. There you go. There you go. Wow. Real one yogurt you know came about- from a cow. I believe it came from a cow. Yeah, that's true. You got to hope. I'm confused. You hope. Confused. Well, you hope. All right. Uh, we'll be back to pick the games. Uh, <laughs> talk to you later. <laughs>